But Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's sending the disciples out on a mission. But the things that he says here uh, didn't happen in this particular trip with the disciples. It's something that was going to happen later with the disciples. And really what he's talking about here is he's trying to explain to them how our thought process changes if we believe in, in the gospel. That The gospel is basically that every good thing, it's an understanding that every good thing in our life actually comes to us as a gift from God and is given as a, a gift based on repentance, a gift based on forgiveness, a gift based on God's mercy. In other words, we didn't do anything to deserve whatever good thing or blessing we have, salvation, anything that we have that we would look at as good. We didn't receive it because we went out and grabbed it. We went out and made it happen. We contributed. It happened because God loves us and cares for us. And even though we've messed up and we don't deserve it, God's giving it to us on the basis of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is justified through Jesus and through him paying the price for us, him becoming one of us, and him being raised from the dead and given a new life that we will live with him. And so if that's what we believe, he says at the in the middle of this, uh, verse 16, he says, it should bring us into a new state of being. And he describes that state of being by pointing to things that for them, would have been a little bit more obvious because they're maybe a more agrarian culture. Uh, for me, some I had to kind of look through. I, I spent way too much time this week looking at animal behavior. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the, the key, though, when you're looking at this is he starts off, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep. Uh, the, the word isn't just sheep. It's, it's most, uh, I think it's most often used in Greek as cattle. But, but the, it's a general term that the situation could make it specific, but the general term is just animals that are led out to pasture and graze. And so what he's saying is, is, and you can see how the correlation is, if we really do believe this gospel, that everything that's good in our life, every blessing that we have, every point of salvation that we have, everything that we feed on from life, everything that we're looking for is actually a gift where God is laying it out before us, then the mindset would be that we're going to go out and live life and eat and, and sustain our life based on wherever it is that we are led out to, just sort of putting our nose down and just grazing, just eating of it. That would be the mentality. And he's saying that's opposed to what the mentality is uh, for people who don't believe it. If you don't believe, that what the good things that we have in our life are a gift from God. What you believe is, I mean, you may believe in luck, but, but you kind of just believe that I'm the one who made this happen. I need to make this happen. And he's saying that's like a wolf mentality. We're just sort of roaming around. We, we sort of get our territory. And then within that territory, we look for opportunities and to devour whatever it is that, that we can and so he says there's two different mentalities, and he likens one to a, a wolf sort of going out and, and getting its territory far and wide, looking for opportunities to be able to, versus 
uh, someone who's just being let out and we just eat what's put in front of us. And he gives us two descriptions of how that ends up working out or what he means by grazing. And he compares it to two animals. One is a serpent and one is a pigeon. Now the serpent is, is interesting because sometimes we just think, well, the wolf is a predator. Well, the serpent is a predator too. So the point that he's getting at is not that one way of thinking uh, isn't, you know, where you're not just pouncing on something where, where it's, it's, you know, predator versus, you know, something that's just eating grass. That's not what he's getting at here. The points about a serpent and the points about the pigeon that he's getting at relate to how an animal that goes out and grazes, what's the difference between that and a wolf? Now, the difference between a wolf and a serpent, if you sort of look at just at their, you know, how they go about grabbing a hold of opportunities that they're going to live off of. A wolf grabs a hold of the opportunities by marking out. And again, as I go through these things, I am by no means an animal expert. So if any of my kids are listening, I know they're going to say, well, that's not the way things actually work. It very much might not be. You have to look on what could be. I'm just sort of pulling out things that I feel like sort of match with what I think God's saying here in the passage. So to my understanding, a wolf sort of has a large territory and goes out and seeks opportunities and tries to make opportunities happen. And, and there's a lot of skill. There's a lot of thinking that goes into making those opportunities happen. The snake, on the other hand, isn't capable of going out and doing that. The snake has to, by and large, wait. Their opportunity is like that of an ambush. They're not necessarily making it happen, but they're waiting, ready to pounce. And the other distinct thing about uh, serpents is they, they don't have retractable eyelids. So their eyes are always open. So, so I think what God's saying here is, look, if we believe in the gospel, we believe that everything is a gift from God, it, it doesn't mean that we sit there and do nothing. It doesn't mean that we don't think. It just changes the way we participate. And now we participate in the way that a serpent would participate in waiting for what it is that's going to sustain its life. And the way a serpent participates is it keeps its eyes open, it waits, and in that moment, when that opportunity presents, it's been waiting for an opportunity, when that opportunity presents itself, it just pounces on it, it strikes it, it wraps its body around it, it squeezes every ounce of life out of that opportunity, and then swallows it whole doesn't leave any parts left, doesn't leave anything left. He says, that's what it's like. He's saying our participation in the blessing is about us keeping our eyes open, seeing the opportunity when God brings it, it presents itself, and then jumping on it, grabbing a hold of it, and swallowing up the whole thing. Just getting every ounce out of it. There's a story in the Old Testament of Joash. He's king of Israel. The whole country has been ravaged by this other country, the Arameans. 
And so it's heavy on their minds. When is God going to save them? Finally, Elisha comes to the king, and Elisha is about ready to die. So this is like the last parting thing that Elisha is giving. And Elisha comes and says to the king, take a bow and shoot an arrow. He picks up the bow, shoots the arrow, and he says, behold, the arrow of victory of the Lord against the Arameans. This is what he's been waiting for, right? This is the salvation. This is the moment. It's there now. Prior to that, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't go out and defeat. He's just sitting there waiting in angst. But now the opportunity is there. And so Elisha says to him, pick up the arrows and strike the ground. And he picks up the arrows and he strikes one, two, three, and then stops. And Elisha becomes enraged, furious at him. He says, why did you only strike the ground three times? If you had stricken it four or five times, even just a few times more, the Arameans would have been destroyed and this problem wouldn't keep plaguing us. But now because you just struck three times, it's going to be there now. You'll have three victories. Great. But then after that, it'll just continue going. In other words, the salvation that you wanted is presented to you. But because you didn't grab a hold of it, now you're going to keep encountering this problem over and over again. And now all the people that you love and care about, that you this opportunity wasn't just for you. It was for them. Now they're going to suffer because you couldn't make that transition. You were too timid. You just didn't grab a hold of it. You just didn't try and just sink our teeth into it and just swallow it whole. And a lot of problems that we have. It's not that we think, well, when's God going to say, God has already presented opportunities, but we're just not grabbing a hold of them. It's a problem that we all face. And so the energy, the thinking, that whatever it is, our participation, it's not about going out like the wolves and trying to make something happen. It's not about the skill to be able to make this blessing happen, to be able to make this go. It's not, not that. It's about us being able to keep our eyes open, wait, and then make that transition to go from zero to 100 miles an hour. That's what a snake does. It's able to just make that transition. And the transition is there. It's triggered based on what it's been hoping for is now presented to it. And that's what we are as believers. If it is true, that every good thing is a gift from God, then now our participation is about us oftentimes just waiting, 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 and then God presenting the opportunity before us of salvation, and then us just pouncing on it with, with everything we have and not letting go of it and staying there. The next thing he talks about is pigeons. Uh, it, it's not pigeons aren't my favorite animal by any means, but uh, there's some characteristics that people love about pigeons. Uh, but in terms of eating or in terms of this idea of grazing or how it is that we're going to come across the things that we need for life and, and, and eat, a pigeon has, uh, it, it can see things really, really far away. It, it sees an opportunity for food really far away. It, it's not something like a, a serpent where it's just, right there in front. That's not what God's saying. He says it's not just that it's right in front of us. It's that we're looking way down. We have, we can see way down there. We keep our eyes open, but we're looking for it way ahead. 
And, and the most amazing things about a pigeon is, is that the pigeon remembers. That's why there's always signs, don't feed the pigeons. Because if you feed a pigeon, it will just keep coming back to that same spot over and over and over. That, that's, I, I believe, I, I should have looked this up, but I believe that's what makes homing pigeons. That if you feed it, no matter how far away you take it, it will immediately go back, right? To, it will look for, it'll bypass any opportunity. It's not looking for a bunch of opportunities. The word that Jesus uses to describe that is there's no mixed things in there. It's single-minded. You could translate it innocent, but it's really just single mind. It's not looking for other opportunities. It's based on it's going to where it remembers it happening. And it will just keep going to that spot and hammering it over and over and over again. And a pigeon may end up eventually, if nothing is there, if it just ends up being dry over and over and over and over and over again, and it sees something way down there, then it may go and make another memory thing somewhere else. But it's a long process. In other words, here's how it works. If we believe that every good gift comes from God, many times it's going to be about us just waiting and pouncing. Many times, and then once that happens, once we see that and that happens, then just keep coming back to it over and over. There's no need to be going around looking for it everywhere else. Keep going to it till it runs dry over and over and over and over again. And so it's a slow process to a new opportunity. The main thing about a pigeon is just hitting that opportunity over and over and over again. It's one of the problems that we have. We'll encounter God and will encounter that blessing and maybe it will be through a person or through some group some church some whatever but then we'll just immediately go we'll go on YouTube we'll go somewhere we'll just start searching all over for us and then we keep wondering why are we dropped because we're out searching all over just come back and hit that place where it was to begin with when God opens something up to us and we sense that salvation we sense that life of god in whatever that situation or person or encounter is it's not meant to be just a one-off thing we always think of it as like oh i went here and i encountered god one off now i go here and i encounter another one off and then i go here as though i'm in control that's what wolves think that's not the way it works with God. When God brings us to a place, he means for us to go back, to go back, to go back, to go back. And he, it doesn't mean that he doesn't change locations. But that's a slow process, not a boom, 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 boom type thing. So what he's saying is, is keep our eyes open. Wait. Pounce. Grab a hold of it with everything we have. And then just keep going back, going back going back with a single-mindedness, with an innocence towards it. Don't be looking all over for everything else. This is what the Lord has provided. Keep going back. And if it's time to move, it's time to do something else, he will make that more than clear. Now, he's obviously talking here, not just about places, but he's talking about people. And he goes into one of the primary difficulties that we have because God brings us blessings and he often is attaching it through people that come into our life. 
he says, but when they hand you over, uh, some versions say arrest, that's just because of the authority nature of the people he's talking. It's really just sort of backstab you or just hand you over. They should have this relationship with you, but you're just handed over. And then he describes uh, the wolves. And the two things that he uses to describe the wolves is one is local councils, and they were in, he was speaking, you know, in and around Jerusalem in Israel. So the local councils are uh, the same thing as he quotes there again, synagogues, uh, the places of worship, uh, people that are his people. And he's talking about people that worship God. There wasn't a distinction back here between Christians and Jewish people. What it was that he was talking to people and saying, look, the people that you've been going to church with, the people that you grew up calling themselves Christians or calling themselves a church or that want to worship God, that are trying to live their life according to what the Bible says, those people are wolves. That's a little bit of an eye-opener. He said, and he brings up the same point a few chapters earlier, I think in chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, uh, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And what he's getting at here is he's not saying there's wolves in sheep's clothing and then just regular wolves, the Gentiles. What he's getting at here is the nature of this thinking that when people are going out looking for opportunities— how those opportunities are capitalized on is that part of the nature of that is to look like the people that you're going to devour or look like the people that, that you're going to have this opportunity happen in. And, and what he's saying, he's not just saying, you know, church people are sheep's wolves and sheep's clothing or something like that. He's just saying all wolves work like that. In other words, let's say you think of yourself as a liberal and you feel like all of my morals and everything are tied up in, I don't think anyone really thinks this way, but, but you know, just thinks of this label, the, the wolf will come as a liberal to you. If you're conservative, and I don't know that people, let's just say that's a label and you think all my morals in this summed up by that label, the wolf will come as a conservative. What he's saying is, is that you can't find safety or you can't find opportunity by finding people of the same morals as you or people that look the same or the people comes because the, the whole thing of a wolf going around and seeking opportunities means that it's going to, the, the thing that's going to be tragic for us is always going to be a reflection of ourselves. Whatever it is that we take value in, in terms of, well, I believe in this, or I think this. And so now all the people that, that like that, or that, you know, are, it's fed to me that are in agreement with that, I feel this sort of camaraderie with that group of people. What he's saying is, is those people are just as likely to stab you in the back as the person that you see as your enemy. There's no difference because it's the mentality that's the same changing the exterior and having this moral value or that moral value, having this cause or that cause, that, that's just peripheral. That's just to for people to get more opportunity from that group of people. And, and so they do. They try and create a facade around their lives that matches that. Since there's nothing found there. 
we're going to be betrayed as much there as anywhere else. Finding that group of people that we really fit in with, that group of people that we think, oh, they have everything in common with us. We have the same cause. We have this. This person looks like me. This person acts like me. This person talks like me. Finding that common, you haven't found anything with that. Whoever it is that you find is just as likely to tear you apart as whoever it is that you have labeled as the enemy. That's what he's talking about with the Gentile. They're saying, look, here's these people that are us. We should find camaraderie there. And this, the Gentiles, everyone else other than that. He's saying, what you find here is the same thing you find here. Because it's not about the facade. It's not about, you're not going to be able to look out and determine the blessings of God by finding something that you like about a person. That's not how it's going to work. How is it that it's going to work? He says, look, when they've handed you over, in other words, after it's become clear that you've been betrayed. And look, tons of people have been completely betrayed by the church. You haven't been betrayed by Jesus. You've been betrayed by a wolf in sheep's clothing. People are betrayed by this, this, that whatever group we have, I guarantee you, it's not just church, whatever group, if there's a group of people that you've come into contact with, you will be betrayed and backstabbed by that group because we're all wolves in that aspect. The only thing that's different is if it is true that the blessings are not found by us or not created by us, but they're given to us by our Father in heaven. And if our mentality goes to match that, we'll find something different. But, but how is it then that we find what it is that God is doing? He says, look, don't think about when that happens, what, what you should say. When, when someone betrays you, when someone backstabs you, when it becomes this clear that there's this moment when you've been turned over and attacked by someone, don't, don't sit there and try and figure out what you need to say. He said, because what needs to be said has nothing to do with you anyways. You don't own. It's not you. It's God who owns that moment. It's God who has something to say. We don't have any right to say because we're just as guilty as that other person. We're just as likely to have that wolf mentality as that other person is. We're just as likely. We don't have any right to say anything at that point. It's not up to us to fix that situation. It's not up to me to give a moment of teaching. That's not for us. If everything is a gift from God, that's a moment for God. God maintains control and ownership of that. And he says, you will see God speaking. The spirit that is in you may speak, but that's not you. God will speak. At that time, there will be something that God will make clear. Now, what is he saying this in this context? If you look at these examples in the New Testament, when Jesus left the disciples, one of the first things that when they got called before, just as he says, these local council synagogues, what did people find? They said things like, well, who are these uneducated people speaking this way? What's that an indication of? They knew God was speaking. 
They knew that these people weren't capable of speaking these words. They knew that this was God, but they just didn't like these folks. They didn't like this situation. They didn't want to identify with this. What, what happened when, say, Paul was dragged before governors, kings? We have those records too. What happened almost every time? The king would say something like this. He'd say, look, Paul. Paul would say, look, you know in your heart, you know what I'm saying is true. I mean, you know, you know it. And they would say, look, Paul, you're coming close to even converting me. In other words, they knew God was speaking to them, and they knew it. But they were a king. Paul was a prisoner. They didn't really... The opportunity didn't fit what it is that they wanted. Look, if we're trying to have something match who we think we are up here, oh, educated, oh, the kings of the earth, whatever it is that we think we've got in superiority, that we've figured this out, we up here, it's not about fitting that. It's just purely those moments when we know God is speaking to us, when we know we've had an encounter with God, and we do know that. That's not the problem. We know it. It's just oftentimes it doesn't match something. It doesn't come the way that we thought. The problem is not, we just don't know. We've never had an encounter with God. No, that's not the problem. God is going to be there. He has been there. These opportunities are there, and we know the problems are this. We're just so busy going around looking for our opportunities. The problems are this. We're not keeping our eyes open. The problems are this. We're just not willing to wait. The problem is this. We just can't transition from waiting to pouncing. The problem is this. We just won't grab a hold of it with our whole life and just sink into it and just swallow it whole. The problem is, is that we, we're not going back to it over and over. We're just going elsewhere. We're looking for everything out there. The problem is, is we keep trying to find it in people that look like us. That We keep trying to find it in some way that's going to hold our group up. The problem is, we're just not looking at the innocence, the simplicity of grab a hold of, go with what we know God is saying, what we know God is doing, and just keep going back to that. When we hear God speaking to us, when you feel it in your heart, this is the moment. That's the moment to pounce. Sink your life into it. Go with that. It's not a one-off thing. It's a moment of stability, life. It's the, the pasture that he's going to bring us into. And God has patience with us. Of course, we're going to mess this all up, giving us all these things so that it's this path to success. He's telling us all these things so that many of the things in here is just so we will be in our right mind. So that as we encounter things, we'll know this isn't that God has abandoned us. It's not, it's not that God's not speaking to us. It's that I'm all messed up. And that's okay because these gifts are not based on us getting it all right. We don't have to get all these things right. We're not going to get all these things right. 
But it's important for us to know where the problem is. The problem is with us. And here are some of the ways those problems work out in our life. The problem is not with God's love. God has not abandoned us. God has not left us out there. God cares for us. He's here for us. There's no problem with God. It's not, the problem is never that God doesn't love us. The problem is never that God is not with us. The problem is never that God is not speaking to us. The problem is, is we're just really messed up. And we're so used to this wolf mentality of survival of the fittest that we just keep, we can't help but go back to it. And of course, that's going to mess this all up. But the comfort that he's pointing us to is the comfort that's found through forgiveness. And the security that's found isn't going to found in all these ways that we mess up and getting it right. The security that's found is that God is always bringing us back to him. If you've been feeling something in your heart, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. You can pray with me as we close. And for all of us, I guarantee you there's something that God's that we should remember where God has been speaking to us. Where have we seen that? What is the opportunity that God is putting before us? Are we going to grab a hold of it? If there's any part that we have, it's to that. And it's okay. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. But this is where God's going to always bring us back to. This is what's always going to be where we're at again, waiting for God, keeping our eyes open, going back to where we see God. Let's pray. Jesus, if there's anyone here today that would like to give their life to you, that would like to ask for forgiveness for their sins, as I pray and as they ask for forgiveness and as they ask to become a follower of you, I pray that you will grab a hold of their heart, draw them near to you, bring them close to you, and I pray that you would give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would start speaking through them to us and to everyone else. Lord, help us to grab a hold of what you put before us. Help us to throw our whole life into what you're putting before us. Help us to keep going back to remember it. Help us not to put our hope in whatever ideal we see, but to just purely put our hope in the words that you're speaking to us right now, the place where we see you working right now. We rely on you for our whole life. Forgive us of our sins. Bring us to that sweet spot, to that pasture where we can grace. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.